This podcast is presented to you by Passion Church and their campus in Alexander City, Alabama. For more information, visit www.mypassion.church. that were incorporated in the tabernacle of David. And all of those ministries were important. And God saw fit to have every single one of them involved in the tabernacle of David. And that's what he said he wanted to rebuild. So evidently, he had so many because he wanted everybody to find a place to fit in, to find a place where it comes up out of them in that expression. Okay? So I I want you to know, I wanted to encourage you in that. Surely there is and there... Some, and there are that some that connect those ministries and those that we talked about. Surely there's something there that, that connects with your heart. Surely in all of that, clapping of hands, raising of hands, singing, um, praying, all of those. Surely there's something in there that you can say, yes, that's me. Yes, I feel, you know, um, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember your name. Sherry. Sherry. I want to call you Shannon for some reason. <laughs> Sherry, you know, she was here just not too many times, and she came to me. She said, I saw that girl doing those flags in this room. I feel that's a connection for me. I want to do that. I want to do that. She felt that connection in her spirit, in her heart, and she identified with that. And she said, I can express my love and my gratitude and my praise by picking up that flag and waving it for Jesus. There's a place for everybody. You don't have to sing like me. You don't have to jump and shout and do all that stuff. You need to do what's in your heart because that's what's going to be pleasing to God. But let me say this. When you find what connects with you, you can't stay there. You can't stay with what just feels good to you. You can't just say, okay, this is me, and this is, this is it, and this is good enough. We've got to do, we've got to be willing to come out of our comfort zone. We've got to be willing to come out of what feels good to me and what we're familiar with or what feels right to us. And just as the Levites of the Tabernacle of David, and if y'all were here Sunday morning, Pastor talked about, when, they, when the children of Israel came to Jordan, they'd never done that before, had the pastor. That generation had never taken the ark out, and they'd never seen the water split, and they'd never gone through it to the other side. Yeah. So Joshua even told him, you've never come this way before. Well, hello, the Levites in the tabernacle of David had never come this way before either. They'd never done this before. This was completely, I mean, way out of the ordinary. Way, this, this, nothing like this had ever done, been done before. They'd never taken the ark out and been able to see it and, and all of them been able to stand around it. Never, ever, ever had this been done before. I can tell you they were probably a little apprehensive at first. You know, yeah. ooh, Lord, Uriah, uh, Uzzah touched that thing and he died. Yeah. What, what happens with us? This was all completely out of their comfort zone. Now, they were all singers and talented musicians, weren't they? 
That's what it said. They picked out the, the ones that had the talent and had the, the uh, training, and they were good at what they were doing. So they were comfortable with that part of it, but not this way. They'd never done it like this before. So they had to be willing to step out of their comfort zone, do something that they'd never been done before. And that is something that you and I need to take our cues from. Maybe, maybe we've never danced before the Lord before. Maybe we've never lifted our hands. Maybe we've never said the bl- amen to the blessing like they did at the Tabernacle of David. You know, there's a ministry. I, I remember Ron reminded me, you know, when Brother Kelly was sitting back there, you could tell when he, his amen came up. Amen! <laughs> you know, and buddy, there was a blessing attached to that amen. You know, we need a few more of those kind of amens in here. You can find your place, but don't stop there. Be willing to get out of your comfort zone and do that which you've never done before. I remember the first time, and I shared this with the few of us who were sitting back. I remember the first time I ever danced before the Lord. Now, y'all are probably going to fall out when I tell you this. We were a minister of music at the First United Methodist Church of Freeport. Now, Freeport ain't no great big place, but this was the First United Methodist Church. And we had a a guest evangelist that was doing a a victorious life seminar, I think is what he called him. And it was at the end of the preaching. And there was no music being played. Ron wasn't playing the piano. There was no music. And I'm telling you what, the Lord got a hold of my feet, and I could not have stood there if I wanted to. And I danced for about 45 minutes or something like that. I don't remember. I mean, the Lord had, and I mean, things began to happen in that congregation. People fell on their faces before the Lord. I'm not patting myself on the back. Understand that's not what I'm doing. But it was totally out of my comfort zone. I mean, this was a first Methodist church. I mean, you can hardly get an amen out of them, much less, you know, a raise in hand. You know, I mean, you know, and this was totally, nobody done this before. I certainly had never done it before. And I danced a few jigs in my day. But it wasn't for the Lord. And, and the Lord just took, you know, and, and I, I yielded myself to what God was wooing me to do. And wonderful things happened out, out after that. And people were set free and, and got saved and all kinds of stuff happened. And um, th- when you come out of your comfort zone, you don't know who you're going to set free. You don't know who's going to be sitting next to you watching you and say, well, I've never seen them do that before. Wow. And the Spirit of the Lord is all over you when you step out of your comfort zone. Oh, man, what great things can happen in the lives of other people. What does Pastor Sandy, Pastor Bruce say around here all the time? It's people for our lives. It's not just about you coming out of your comfort zone for you. It's so that you can help set other, others free. <clears throat> God was so pleased with this. He was so pleased with their willingness, willingness to do what he and David had talked about and it set up that he sat right down. He said, this is pleasing to me. This, this ministry, this worship that's going on around here, all of these things that y'all ain't never been used to doing, it's so pleasing to me that I'm going to sit right down here and I'm going to stay here for about 40 years. Can you imagine? 
the blue flame of God stayed right there. Non-stop. And I want you to know that that music and that singing in some way, shape, form, or fashion went on. It never quit. There was never a minute, not even a nanosecond of silence. There may have just been music or there may have just been singing or there may have been both, but it was never, ever silence. God had had enough of that silent stuff back there at the tabernacle of Moses. There was nonstop praise and worship, singing, playing of instruments and music going on, and there never was a quiet moment from the first note that was sung until it all got uh, done away with in the temple of Solomon because it was transferred right out of the tabernacle of David and into the temple. The music never quit. Never quit. I would say that God was pleased with that. And he tells us that that's what he wants to rebuild. That's what he wants to be established. So don't be afraid to do what you've never done before. Don't let fear and of the unknown or what somebody's going to think about you or not think about you keep you from discovering your place of, of worship and moving on with God and following after him in his leading you because he wants to do great things. So why all the fuss? Why do we need to do all this to praise and worship? Well, because God said he was going to build again and set up the tabernacle of David. It tells us that in Amos, that was our, our scripture, Amos 9 and 11, where in the Old Testament... This came out of the prophet Amos's mouth. Even while the temple of Solomon was going on, I've spoken this before, the temple of Solomon and all of that was going on. But God said, I want to build again what is going on in the tabernacle of David. And then he reiterated that in the New Testament when James spoke that in Acts 15, 14 through 17. You know, when James spoke this, you know, a lot of people think that he was just talking about the throne of David. We know that that was fulfilled in Christ. The throne of David, Christ being the greater seed of David, that it was established in him. But, you know, if this, when, when James quoted this, this was 18 years later. This was 18 years after Jesus had already done that. Jesus had already died, been buried, and rose again. So 18 years later, we come to this, and James quotes the scripture. And we know that part of it is because God was telling them that the Gentiles are part of this, that there is no separation between Gentiles and Jew. But he's also, there's also something else that he was trying to get through to us, that these pictures of what was going on in the tabernacle of David is what he wants to go on in his church today. It's what he wants to have happening in our lives, spiritually applied to us, and in our corporate coming together. That's what he wants to sit down on, is our praise and our worship. He wants to come in the middle of that. We, you know, we must have a clear understanding of all of these things, what that picture looked like. You know, the word says that without knowledge, the people perish, right? So that's what this all has been, so that you will have knowledge 
and understanding so that you can properly apply both spiritually and naturally what went on in the tabernacle of David of what God said himself that I want to rebuild. This is my idea, God said. This is my idea of what my church is supposed to look like. This is what I want to establish in them. When I establish this, then you can bet that the wine will be flowing off the mountains. There will be blessing everywhere we turn because we see that's exactly what happened after the tabernacle of David was set up. Israel came into its most glorious years. From that moment on, it built and built and built and built and kept building. So God wants to establish that in us. We... We need to make sure that we have this understanding so we don't get ourselves like uh, Ron preached and find ourselves like Michael and be on the wrong side of the window. I don't want to be on the wrong side of the window. I want to go with God. I want to go out of my comfort zone so I'm never on the wrong side of the window. I'm always in right smack dab in the middle of what God is doing. And, you know, God is always leading us to him. He's always saying, come on, come on. I got better things in store. I got more things for you to know. I got a deeper place for you to go. I got more for you to do. We can't stay there. We've always got to be moving, following after him. Pastor said, you, it, when he preached Sunday, keep the ark out in front of you. Stay a certain distance behind so you can follow it. We never get out in front of it. We always got to follow him. Now, I want to take a little bit of time. Now, I know um, we've got uh, kids that have gone back to school, and we don't want to stay, keep you guys so late because we want you to be able to get your kids home and get them all ready for school tomorrow. But part of our understanding and our knowledge and our understanding about what was going on, there's so much. I feel like we've only kind of scratched the scratch on the scratch of all of this, but you know, we, we only have a certain time frame that we can work with. But I don't know about, about y'all, and I, and I didn't bring, I forgot to bring the King James Version, but throughout the Psalms, you'll notice that there are, and this is something I think is important, because if we're going to completely get a, a, wonder, a really, really good picture of the tabernacle of David and everything that went on there, we need to understand some of that analytical stuff, okay? All through the Psalms, You'll find not all of them, but um, a lot of them have superscriptions on them. The son, the Psalm of David to the chief musician, you know, um, uh, in, in, in the uh, Old Testament, it has several different kinds of names um, that are, are used. And I want to take a little bit of time to go through some of these. If we have enough time, I'll try my best to get through all of them. <clears throat> but they play a very important part in your understanding and opening up how all of this looked and what all went on there. It, it really, maybe just because I'm a musician, but I don't think so, it paints a whole different uh, understanding of the Psalms. And I think it paints a greater understanding of what, what we need to do when we are together building, allowing God to build the tabernacle of David in us. Okay, <clears throat> the, the, um, 
This is the Psalms titles and inscriptions. Okay, the Hebrew title of the book of the Psalms is Zephyr Tilium, which means praise or hymns or the book of praises. Um, another Hebrew title calls it Tefilloth, <clears throat> meaning the book of praise and prayer. And then the Greek title from the Septuagint is Salmoi. I'm not sure how to say that, but it means songs or songs accompanied by musical instrument. So all down through, you can see this is going to be brought out in what we're talking about in the Psalms. There was the use of the Psalms in the early church. We see many times 1 Corinthians, James, Ephesians, Mark, Luke, Psalms, 1 Corinthians, where they were not only quoted, but they were sung and they were used in the worship of the early church. Okay, now the Psalms, titles, and inscriptions, over approximately 100 Psalms, there are prefixed inscriptions. These titles and inscriptions have been a matter of mystery over the centuries and difficult of explanation. The early scriptures had no spaces between the Psalms. You know, the early scriptures just went right on. There was no breaking down of chapters and all that kind of thing. So um, it's hard to tell whether the inscriptions were subscriptions or they were superinscriptions, whether they were what went before or what, came bef- what comes after. But um, and throughout time, as, as people have studied the languages and they began to piece together probably what was meant by the subscriptions or superscriptions. <clears throat> now, there were five areas that, which are suggested to us in the various psalm titles. Um, and th- these five titles are broken down like this, or five areas. Number one, there were the instru- instructions to the sh- chief musician. Now, Chenina was the chief musician. And there's about 55 psalms which have the inscription to the chief musician upon them. Um, you can look all those up. I don't want to take the time to go to just name all of those. But <clears throat> there's many of them. There's 55. I'm not going to go through all of those. In David's tabernacle, Chenina was the chief musician. He was the overseer, the music conductor, the master of the song, the choir leader. As such, the psalms were directed to him. His responsibility was to determine the direction of the music and the song, hence the inscription to the chief musician. You know, I was talking to Ron about this. I, bet, I said, you know, I, that, that man had to be one busy guy. <laughs> I mean, he was constantly getting songs sent to him, and he had the group that was over at the Tabernacle of Moses, and he had the group that was over here at the Tabernacle of David, and he had to teach them all how to sing these songs. He had to teach them how to play the music. He arranged it. He uh, did all of this stuff. And um, I believe he was probably, sometimes he was over here at the Tabernacle of Moses, and sometimes he went over here to the Tabernacle of David, and he was a busy guy. He was, he was busy, busy, busy. He didn't have time for anything else because he was teaching everybody how to sing and play. Um, the second one is the name of the author of the psalm. Now, um, not all the uh, psalms have authorship ascribed to them, but many of them do. There are about 73 psalms attributed to King David, 12 psalms attributed to Asap, about 10 or 12 to the sons of Korah. Then there are psalms attributed to Heman, Ethan, Moses, and Solomon. Now, all of these men were godly men that wrote these psalms. Um, and, you know, the, no, no psalm found its way into the book, okay, if it did not have a divi- the divine seal upon it. You can tell. 
you know, when you read the Psalms, they were straight from the throne of God, just out of worship. And, um, and it shows that, you know, they, I believe that the, you know, we talked about one of the ministries was a ministry of writing down. And that there was someone there that was in the tabernacle of David that wrote down things, that script. And they wrote down what was going on and what was sung. And, you know, um, they checked that out. They, they checked it out and made sure it was from God. <clears throat> Number three, the historical setting of the psalm. Now, there are some psalms that tell us the historical settings that's going on. A number of these psalms also have the subject or historical occasion of the writing in their title. Psalms 3, 7, 18, 24, 51, and 52 are some examples of this. You know, there was one that talks about David when he was, you know, running from Saul and, you know, the, all these kind of things. They were, they were, uh, the, it, uh, the title was a record of what was going on at that time, a historical record, okay? Number four of these areas is the style of the music and poetry. Some of the songs intimate in their titles the style of music which is to be played. Several examples in Scripture are Psalms 7, 8, 92, 102, and even into Habakkuk. Sometimes the poetry leads itself to music that is joyful and victorious. Other times it may have music that is minor, which there's minors and majors in music. Minor is a somber kind of sound, and major is a happy kind of sound. Um, Descriptive of the trials or distresses or conflicts of the author, things that the author was going through. At other times, the language may call for music of deepest devotion and worship. The style of the poetry will determine the style of the music. Hence, it would be the responsibility of the chief musician, Janina, to censor the style of both poetry and music before it was rendered to the Lord by the singers and musicians. I think that's so interesting. Maybe y'all think this is boring, but I think it's cool. And I'm teaching. <laughs> <laughs> And number five, the instrument that was to accompany the psalm. <clears throat> Under this subheading, we will note a number, we're going to note a number of special musical expressions in particular psalm titles. Okay, we're going to go through a whole bunch of these. Now, there, are, there, there may be some conflicts in interpretation, but I'm going to talk about the interpretation that seems the most likely according to the psalm that it is about. Um, I think I might be able to get through all these. Um, the first one, and these go in alphabetical order, Ajilath Shahar. And these, you, these names I'm going to talk about, you can, I'm not going to have time to look them up, but you can find these all in the Old Testament. Most of the newer um, translations don't have these Hebrew names in there. Um, this appears in the title of Psalm 22. The Old, the Amplified uh, says... To the chief musician, set to the tune of Agile Hashashar, the hind of the morning dawn. So this it gives us an idea. Okay, there was a tune that they were going to sing this to that they sang back then. Okay, uh, the next one is Alamoth. The Amplified, now that's in the Old Testament, it says Alamoth. In the Amplified, it says to the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah set to treble voices. Now this implies either that, because and this is why they say, because Alamoth is the plural of Alma, which means a lass, a damsel, veiled, or private, or a virgin. 
So this implies that there possibly were female voices that were singing around the throne of God with the Levites. Because it says the treble voices, the higher voices. <clears throat> it also just could mean tenors, men who sing with high voices. Um, because it's an octave, it's an eight, which is an octave above the middle C, which implies that it was uh, possibly tenor singers. So we, with, when this, with this, you can see that there was thought. There was uh, specific ideas in mind of who and how and what and when and where was all involved in this. Um, the next one, Al-Tashithish, and this titles of Psalms 57, 58, 59, and 75. The old Amplified states that to the chief musician set to the tune, do not destroy. Strong's Concordance suggests meaning, thou must not destroy, probably the opening word of a popular song. I found this one to be interesting. That another one is Giddeth. The word Giddeth comes from Gath, meaning winepress. Psalms 8 and 81 and 84 bear this inscription. The Amplified Old Testament to the chief musician set to a Philistine lute or possibly a particular Hittite tune. But this is really cool, what Strong's had to say. Suggests that this Gittite, that it to be a Gittite harp. The musical instrument to accompany the psalm. This word is derived from the Hebrew root word meaning wine press. The fruit from which came, the fruit which came in the first of the Feast of Tabernacles was the time for treading out of the wine. And, and this particular author relates this. He, he says this is going back to even Gethsemane, which means wine press. I thought that was an interesting connection there. Another one is Jeduthan. Concerning Jeduthan, the Amplified Old Testament writes to the chief musician for Jeduthan. Now, Jeduthan was at the Tabernacle of Moses. He was the priest presiding over the Tabernacle of Moses. This was written for him. Jeduthan was one of the three singers in the temple of worship. He was over the Tabernacle of Moses. And his name interpreted means praise giver or let them give praise. His name suited his ministry, but, you know, all believers are called to give praise, right? So there are those, however, who have this distinct ministry in praise of music. The next was Jonathan Eliam Rakokin. This is only to be found in title uh, Psalms 56. And um, it speaks of uh, a song that the melody was probably like. I'm going to skip down to uh, Meshileth, which is the Amplified Old Testament, a skilled song or dietetic, a reflective poem. This tells us that poems were taken and they were put to music. They were put to a melody. And it, it was an instructive song. <clears throat> Mitchum. It's a several, in several of the Psalms, 16, 56, 57, 58, 59, and 60. And um, it's the strong says, an engraving or a poem, indicating emphasis and permanence by reason of being engraven. The spiritual lesson we can derive from Mitchtam is that by prayer and meditation, the word of God may be engraven and engrafted into the believer's heart. The next one, Muthlaban, this inscription is only found in the title of Psalm 9. And it, this one also says, the Amplified, uh, o, the Amplified Old Testament says, to the chief musician, set for possibly soprano voices. <clears throat> Naginoth 
it, this is Psalms 4, 54, 51, 61, 67, and 76, also in Isaiah. Um, the Amplified Old Testament states, to the chief musician on stringed instruments. So we're not going to leave it out the guitars. The music is translated stringed instruments, music, nigoth, and song. So it tells us that this was, this was how they wanted this song to be done in the tabernacle. They wanted it to be done with stringed instruments. Nehaloth or Nehaloth is the next one, and it's in Psalm 5, and the Amplified Old Testament says to the chief musician on wind instruments. So they had flutes and trumpets and those kind of instruments which they blew into. So this suggests that it was um, a song for the flute, and it was to be performed with the flute and similar wind instruments. Another one is Sheminath. This inscription is found in Psalm 6, 12, and also it's talked about in 1 Chronicles 15, 21. The Amplified Old Testament has this inscription, to the chief musician on stringed instruments set possibly an octave below, which means it was either, there's two, uh, two things going on here. It was probably played on an eight-string instrument, such as a lyre, L-Y-R-E, and it also suggests an octave below, which is set for the low voices or the low male voices. They wanted where Alamoth was for the higher voices or the treble voices. This song was set for the lower voices. Another one, Shagan or Shaganoth. Psalm 7 has this title along with Habakkuk 3.1. The Old Testament says an ode of David in a wild, irregular, enthusiastic strain. They getting their praise on in this one. Wild, irregular, and enthusiastic. And on Habakkuk 3, 1, 19, the Amplified says that it was set to wild, enthusiastic, triumphant music. Songs interprets it to be a rambling poem or mournful poem, dirge, plaintive song, a crying aloud. I think this is so cool because it tells us that there were different there were different feelings. They, they were trying to convey things. They were trying to get across through their music what the song was saying. Not just in their voices, but in their music. How they were going to sing it. The way they were going to sing it. What the inflections were going to be. Shigan is interpreted various, variously to mean mournful, erratic, or even a song of trouble. Wanderings according to variable tunes. So you can see this as expressing itself. They were expressing the song, what the writer was saying, and the way that they were playing the music. <clears throat> I'm running out of time, and I've got to get to that. There's three more I'm not going to go into, Shoshanam, Shoshanam Eduth, and Hayagon, but I have got to do this part. Many times in all of the Psalms, in fact, it says here, I can find it. I might just go ahead and read it. Um, Y'all ever read the word Selah? Okay. The word Selah is used about 71 times in Psalms and three times in the prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk seemed to be a priest-prophet associated with the temple singers. Strong's interprets it to mean suspension of music. And there are many examples of it all through the Psalms. You can look them all up. <clears throat> in the Amplified, it always says, Selah, pause, calmly think of that. Okay, and I've always thought, well, you know, they must have just, 
Hmm. Let me meditate on this a little bit. No. There was a whole completely different meaning than just sitting there and you know, meditating for a few minutes. All of these were musical directions. Every one of them had, a, had something that they were trying to convey. They had a musical expression that was connected with the psalm, connected with what the, the writer or the singer, God, was trying to convey and get across to them. Okay, there's, there's one, two, three, four... Five, five different selahs. The fight, the flight, or the storm selah. In Psalms 55 and in Psalms 61, this is the selah that's being used. This, this, the musical interlude would then been the flight of the storm. Can you just hear? You know, it's going on because they want to portray the flight of the storm, the wind and everything that's moving in the storm. You read that psalm, it's talking about all that kind of stuff that's going on. This was what that Selah was conveying. It was a break in the song. The singers would sing, and when the Selah came, then the instruments would just take over. There would be this wonderful interlude of music that would convey the meaning of the song, convey the meaning where you could really get a picture and a feel for what that was trying to say. There, and there was another one, death, the death nail Selah. Psalms 52, 55, 57, 59. Um, it meant judgment, affliction, and death are noted in these references. And this particular kind of Selah, the musical interlude, the reed pipes would wail a funeral dirge, sounding the death notes, descriptive of the final judgments of God on the wicked. This Selah would certainly cause the listeners and players to pause and meditate on the word of God. A funeral sound would certainly get your attention and convey a certain impression to you. You knew, it would, it, in, in your mind, you would immediately think of all the things that connected with that, wouldn't you? When that music played, you would think of that. The sacrificial selah. Um, Strainer, uh, excuse me, Stainer comments on this selah, also saying, it is known that the sound of trumpets accompanied the ritual of the altar, a blare of silver trumpets blowing, as it were, the sacrificial smoke heavenward. <clears throat> Once the victim was consumed, the offering music was silent. Here is an explanation of the difficult words, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. The Selah preceding this verse was a sacrificial interlude of trumpets augmented with loud hallelujahs which die away as the smoke grows thinner until over the dying embers of the sacrifice, the Levites come in again to say that the Lord who had seemed to them to stoop from the highest of heaven, received the gift, he returned once more to his lofty throne. That's from Psalms 47.5 where that Selah comes in. The trumpets would blare this and convey this message of the sacrificial Selah. Number four, the war Selah. Psalm 60, verse 4, Psalm 76, verses 1 through 3. The war Selah is to be found in these references. There God breaks the weapons of war and the Lord of hosts come into battle. The Lord is revealed as a God of war. The, war, the trumpets, probably the shofar, which was the, the horn that sounded, Israel knew that it was a call to arms when that shofar sounded. So it was the curved ram's horn and it would be used here. This trumpet was especially used for war, the sounding of the alarm when the leaders of Israel blew the trumpet. God would come into action in behalf of his people. 
This war, Selah, this musical interlude, will certainly be descriptive of the rage and the fury of the battle. And number five, the triumphal Selah. In Psalms uh, 49, verse 15, here the psalmist declares, But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. He shall receive me, Selah. In verses 13 and 14 of, of that one, the death Selah is noted as the pipes and the flutes would play a mournful dirge over the wicked. But the musical interlude of Selah, verse 15, would blast, the blast of the trumpet would sound, and the picture of the triumphant and the resurrection of the dead would be shown with that Selah. The victory, the triumphal Selah, the triumphal sound of the, the trumpet would sound forth at that time. And, and you got this complete picture in your mind from the sound of the trumpet, from the sound of the music. The Selahs in this interpretation of the term surely help to teach us truth. Sometimes the verses are understood only by their Selahs. The Selah is not just a stop, a pause, or think about it. It is also a descriptive musical interlude that illustrates and interprets that which comes before and after it. The temple orchestra musicians thus help the singers of these descriptive selahs, selahs of melody, symphony, sacrifice, war, flight, and storm, peace, and triumph. The particular type of instrument, whether stringed, wind, percussion, uh, trumpets, whatever, that would uh, play that particular type of selah. This would indeed make, a, make it vivid to the minds of the singers and the worships, that which God was saying through the words of the Psalms. Now, I, you know, y'all may think that that's just... All that sounds like a lot of cool stuff you're talking about there. And, um, but I, I want to give you a quick understanding. And that's my phone. That was my Selah. <laughs> um, of, of what I'm saying, okay? Y'all listen to me now. I want you to tell me. If you hear this, Jaws. I just gave you a musical interlude, and immediately you got a picture in your mind of Jaws coming to get you. Okay? That's exactly what these Selahs did. They played a certain sound, and you immediately had a full picture of what the Psalms, what the singer, what God wanted you to not only hear, but He wanted you to feel. He wanted you to come in contact with that and bring you up into what the psalm was trying to say. How important this is. I never thought about it. I said, and now, what, when I read these psalms, I'm like, woo, I get to full picture here. I get a complete understanding of what was going on. That is why music is so vital in our praise and worship. It sets you know, how many times have you ever heard that music is the universal language? It is, and you know, um, you, you can play music and, and people will relate and come together over that music. I don't care if they're from China or if they're from India or if they're from Canada or where they're from. Amen. They'll come together over a song. Music is a universal language, you know, and, and if you ever, you know, especially in the movies of old, you know, if, if you could, if you had the sound on, you could blindfold yourself and you knew if the bad guy was coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or you knew if, oh, 
song. This is happy time. Yay, everybody's doing good. You didn't have to hear no words. All you had to do was hear the music. That's all you had to do was hear the music. And you knew if they were sad, if they were happy, if they were worried, if they were frightened, if it was good times, if it was bad. You just knew just by the music. You didn't have to see the movie. You just knew. That's what this, that's what God was trying to convey through the music. And God must have been pleased with it. He's the one that designed it. He's the one that thought it up. And he told David, this is what I want to be in my temple, in my tabernacle. And I want this to continue on. I want it to continue on. And, and so much so that here, real quick, I just want, he wanted all of the instruments. He wanted everything to be going. He, wanted, he didn't want nothing left out. Because in Psalms, there, there's no sailors in here. But in Psalms 149 through 150, he says, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Praise Him in the assembly of His saints. Let Israel rejoice in Him, their Maker. Let Zion's children triumph and be joyful in their King. Let them praise Him in chorus and choir and with the single or group dance. Let him sing praises to him with the tambourine and with the lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation and adorn the wretched with victory. Let the saints be joyful in the glory and beauty which God confers upon them. Let them sing for joy upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and the two-edged sword in their hands to wreak vengeance upon the nations and chastisement upon the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles and fetters with iron, to execute upon them the judgment written. He, the Lord, is honor of all the saints. Praise the Lord. Then, and hallelujah, and then it says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the heavens of his power. Praise him in his mighty uh, acts. Praise Him according to the abundance of His greatness. Praise Him with the trumpet sound. Praise Him with the lute and harp. Praise Him with the tambourine. Praise Him with the stringed and wind instruments. Oh, I forgot. And single or group dance. Don't want to leave that out. Praise Him with the resounding cymbals. Praise Him with the loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath, every breath of life, praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. How important. How important is all of this that we need to take to heart all of this? I hope when you pick up the next time you read the Psalms, you will read it in a different light. I hope that you will get a picture of, of the orchestra around the tabernacle of David and the Levites around the ark of God and all that was going on there, the music that was going on, the, the conveying of the heart of God between he and his worshipers. I hope that you will get that picture in your heart and in your mind when you read this and understand that this is what God said he wanted to build again. It was so important. He wants this to go on now in you and I, and in the corporate worship of us together. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it and pray that you are blessed by God's word. 
For more information about Passion Church, visit www.mypassion.church. 